twice a year, a few of the pastors um, interview our confirmands who go through a series of classes, and we just had 38 young men and women go through the courses, completed them, and all of them decided to become members here at Bethany. So that was pretty cool. But every time we do this, in the spring and in the fall, there is um, a question that we ask. You know, they had to be in this conversation. We used to call it a pastor interview. Now we call it a conversation, so it doesn't sound as scary. But we always have questions to ask the confirmands. And they're questions that um, I might put to y'all here that you don't get a chance to answer, but they have to. And the first one, they're both in consideration of if you are um, approached by someone who is not a Christian, these are some things that you might need to explain to them. And the first one is, what does it mean to say that Jesus is my Lord? And the second one is, what does it mean that Jesus is my Savior? And so I invite you to think about this yourself. Have you ever been asked that question of anybody? I'm getting some no's. you got to start hanging out with non-Christians, I guess. <laughs> Could you answer those questions? If I were to ask you, what does that mean, Jesus is my Lord? Any ideas? Hmm. I could pick on the Perkins student. <laughs> Man, all right. I'm going to have to give you guys this homework. Jesus is my Lord. Or any ideas about what it means to say Jesus is my Savior? Wyatt. Oh, you want an answer? Sure. You don't have 30 minutes, though, but, you know, like a soundbite. I'm, I'm going to sit down. We're done. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus is my Savior. He has taken our sins away that have held us captive, and we don't have to live in that regret, that trap that is our sin. He has removed that from us. So be thinking about that, those questions. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my Savior. How do you explain that to people? I want you to keep those two words in mind as we think about Christ the King. That's a, our, we, our, our weekend is kind of a double booking. We're, we're celebrating Christ the King this weekend, and we're also including our sermon series as we explore the uh, different hymns, some popular hymns, their, their stories, their theology. And can it be that I should gain is going to be our focus this evening. As you know, we've already went through it twice. We're going to do it a third time. Third time's the charm. We're going to look at those words. Um, considering that we have a Lord and Savior ruling over us, ruling over the whole world, how can we do anything less than keep from singing our praise to the God who is our heavenly King above all kings? Let us pray. Holy God, we rejoice whether we are singing our hearts out or are just praying quietly with you in all of the ways that you speak to us, the ways you save us, the ways you teach us. Lead us tonight, God, as we consider your word through the Holy Scriptures, we consider your word through Charles Wesley's hymn, how it is you are speaking into our lives today across the years so that we may live and follow you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So our story is going to begin simply enough in this small room at a humble desk. 
Um, nothing ornate, nothing fancy to see here, but uh, this is in Bristol, England. Chris and I went here when we did the Wesley Heritage Tour all over England a couple of years ago. This is the home of Charles Wesley. This is a desk where when he was not riding horseback, he might have sat to do some of his writing. Um, he grew up a PK, a preacher's kid, and he admitted that during his first year of college, he was lost in diversions. Yeah, it's up to us to imagine what those diversions were. We don't know. Uh, but he will confess that. He was not that studious, not that faithful in his living. It wasn't until his second year at Oxford that he started to get serious about pursuing his spiritual matters, spiritual um, interests in his life. He did not know Christ as his Savior like our brother Wyatt does, but he still practiced it. He, he joined his brother John Wesley in intentional Christian living. He tried his hand at being a missionary in Georgia. He was an utter failure. And for a lot of us, we would never have gotten any further than that um, in our efforts at faithful living. It's hard to remember that we are supposed to practice faith until we have it. And we will fail to have faith, and we will fail in our practices. Like Charles Wesley, we will experience spiritual crises throughout our lives. And hopefully, like Charles, we will keep practicing, and we will not give up on ourselves because God is faithful even when we aren't. God will save us from ourselves and our sins. But a depressed Charles Wesley started going to meetings with other Christians, which is a good idea. Surrounding ourselves with faithful brothers and sisters in Christ when we are struggling in our relationship with God. Charles committed to this, and he discovered himself one time to be at peace with God, to be rejoicing in the hope of loving Christ. And he wrote this in his journal when most of us would have been sleeping. He said, at midnight, at midnight I gave myself to Christ assured that I was safe, whether sleeping or waking. I had the continual experience of his power to overcome all temptation, and I confessed with joy and surprise that he, God, was able to do exceedingly abundantly for me above what I can ask or think or above what any of us could do on our own. God is more powerful than our lack of ability to be faithful, to do good, to overcome our sin, to seek to be forgiven. That's the power of Christ the King. No matter how badly we've behaved, no matter how far we have strayed, no matter how alluring or long-lasting our diversions in whatever nature they are, God can overcome all of that continually in our lives. This is a surprise and a joy and in my own conversion, it was totally awesome for me to discover that God loved me, a sinful, contrite woman, even me. And you, whatever it is your story is, your worldly diversion, you are gifted by God, his peace, his forgiveness, his love, his welcome home. And all you have to do is say yes to it. You may have your own conversion story. I hope you do. But don't be pressured that you have to write 6,000 hymns, honestly not at the desk, but on horseback like Charles Wesley did. You don't have to live that way to live into your conversion, your new life in Christ, to express it. 
There are so many different ways. For each person here and each person that is a follower of Christ, there is a different story about how to respond to encounter with God. How, how to respond or how you experience an encounter with God in the first place. It could be mission work as your response. It could be preaching. It could be writing hymns, sure. It could be selling all that you have to more faithfully follow Jesus and not the world. That's a toughie from the Bible. Turning away from sin might be your story and your need. Does your response need to begin with confession and repentance? And still, it could be that you're, you need to find out about your spiritual gifts. Discern how the Holy Spirit is equipping and calling you to follow Christ, to worship God, to serve him, to grow in your discipleship so that in turn you can lead others in their discipleship. I invite you to talk with me or Pastor Sherry or Thomas about ways that you can do that. Or if you're like a confirmand and it sounds just a little bit scary to talk with the pastor, connect with somebody like Cecilia Barentine where you can learn about different ways that you can connect more deeply with God as you experience God yourself. But regardless of the details of your conversion story and how you choose to respond, we can all share Charles Wesley's awe and wonder for the miracle of God's great redeeming story. Regarding Charles Wesley, there are, there are different stories about how his song, And Can It Be That I Should Gain?, came to be written. Some say he wrote it right after his conversion as a response. How could he keep from singing at that peace of God that he finally knew? Others say that he wrote this hymn on his deathbed, his final praise to God with his final breaths. We don't know, but I don't think the timing matters. We hear from a, a modern uh, speaker today, Joni Erickson Tata. She describes this song, and can it be, as the doctrine of salvation set to music. It is theology for our hearts, the story of our Lord's sacrifice to provide for our salvation, and then in turn our experience when we accept this offering for ourselves. In each stanza of the hymn, we can hear the Bible story sung to us, sung by us. And I'm not going to sing it, but we're going to read through this and focus not on the music, but on the words spoken, the words Charles Wesley wrote and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me, me who caused his pain? For me who pursued him to death? Amazing love, how can it be that my God died for me? This question alone, how in the world is something so ridiculous even possible? 2,000 years ago, this man Jesus shed his blood gave his life so that my life, your life, would not be lost. And even more mind-boggling as we read this truth, it's more out of this world, is that the glorious God gave up divinity and immortality to save us. What kind of God and king does that? None that we can find in the world. And generations before it even happened, the prophet Isaiah saw it coming he wrote that it would come to pass like this, for he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised, rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, 
As one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This man prophesied about by Isaiah is no king that we would pick for ourselves, no Lord that seems worthy of following by any worldly account. He's not attractive in appearance. He was despised in the world. He was rejected not only by other worldly authorities, but oftentimes by his own people. This Jesus was no account man who was looked down upon, who was beaten, who was destroyed. But that was our doing, all of our sin placed upon him. The weight of the punishment that was due for us, he suffered. We see these words, we know them, they're not anything new to our minds, but it just doesn't make sense. I had a theology professor who, when we would pose tough questions to her, she would just raise her hands and say, it's a mystery, knowing that some things just could not be explained away. Tis mystery all. The immortal dies. Who can explore his strange design? In vain, the firstborn seraph tries. The angels try to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all. Let earth adore Let angel minds inquire no more. Let angel minds inquire no more. How in the world can we put into words the depth of God's love for us to do this crazy thing that God does for us? Not even the angels were able to figure it out. And scripture does its best. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that we we still were sinners and Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified, made right by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely... Having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation from the separation that we had with God. Does this passage clear things up for you? Does it make it clear in your mind to gain a fuller understanding of the why and how of God's saving grace? Or can you find peace in accepting the truth And have faith beyond understanding. Can you accept the fact of God's love for you and respond with adoring Christ while your mind remains in awe and wonder at the mystery of it all? That's something you have to wrestle with. He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace. But he emptied himself of all of that. Everything except love he gave up. And bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free. For oh my God, it found out me. A king does not just walk away from his throne. That is for life. 
He doesn't set aside his crown and relinquish his power so that the people will be adored over the king. And then there's Jesus. He did that. He does that. He will keep doing that for us. And there's a question hidden in this mystery that we have to ask ourselves. That so what? Now what? What do we do with this truth? This gift of life and love from our king in heaven. How do we respond? When God's love is revealed this way among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Consider this to be a decree from your king in heaven, not just because Jesus said so, but because Jesus did so. His great love is what we are offered, and we're invited to receive. We have to choose that. But it's also what we are called to offer in response. We ought to love one another. We are filled to overflowing with God's love. Life breathed into us with each inhalation out of that great love for us. Our breath, our thoughts, our words, every part of our inward being as we are being created and saved by God should be loving expressed outwardly in our actions and our words. Many of us know this to be true and right and good, and still we are held back. We are restrained, continually chained by the sins we've committed and that we keep committing. We're held in bondage by an original sin that broke creation itself, a brokenness that can become a part of our nature, but a brokenness that Christ is able to heal. In the fullness of faith, we can acknowledge that brokenness, acknowledge our own sin and Christ's freedom as he saves us from ourselves in redemption as we sing with Charles Wesley this song. And no, we don't have to sing it, but this is how he responds. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Charles' figurative imprisonment was experienced by him even as he practiced a life of piety and a lot of good works for the church. No matter how much time, no matter how many resources you commit to the church, your hard work cannot buy you a sense of peace in Christ and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is a gift from God alone. It's undeserved and unearned by us. You may have been a Christian your entire life, for decades even, still feel trapped in your sin. You may be striving to do good works, to try to curry God's favor. You can't do it. But that is all freely given to you. Charles Wesley may have understood all of this as a metaphor, this prison that he had felt his spirit in. But we have a literal experience of such an imprisonment by Peter as we read about his story in Acts. The very night before Herod was going to bring him out, before Herod was going to kill him, Peter, bound with two chains, 
was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He tapped Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He didn't realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guard, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went outside and walked along a lane. When suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that he and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Be in your mind just a moment for your own metaphor of this prison. Think about how any of your guilt is trapping you. Can you picture the chains falling from your wrists? They have. Can you imagine the door of that prison being thrown open? They are. Can you start to see yourself not in that cell, but walking along the path freely with Christ at your side? He does. You only need to stop living in that cell of sin and go because he has already set you free from that prison. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. And so now I can approach his eternal throne boldly. I can claim the crown through Christ my own. This is the kind of king we have in Christ the king. A king who gave his life as Jesus here on earth. A mortal life lived and lost. So that we can move from mortality into immortality we exchange our perishable lives for those imperishable bodies. No longer condemned to destruction, but saved with eternal freedom, that miracle of life beyond life, possible for all of us as followers of Christ. And therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Christ led Charles Wesley, and he leads us to a new and living way is it possible for us? Can we live confidently and confess it as the way we are living, that way, that new and living way that Christ shows? Can we hold fast and faithfully to this promise that he delivers? Here endeth our song and our series tonight. Like all things in the world, they are temporary with an expiration date. And still in this time, in the time beyond time, Christ will be king there is an old song, Charles Wesley did not write this, but I'm going to mention it anyway. 
that says his banner over me is love. How do you pledge allegiance to such a king as Christ? How do you proclaim your faith by waving this banner, this banner over us that is love, by confessing Jesus as our Lord and Savior? I see a lot of banners weighed for a lot of different kings. Our elections are finally over right now, but I still go past people's yards and I see politicians' names on signs. I still see campaign bumper stickers on cars and social media posts about one worldly king or another. What sign do you offer that you are a follower of Christ the King? What banner do you wave, do you fly to pledge your allegiance to him? I am going to invite anyone who wants to fly the banner of Christ the King to stand with me in a moment as we affirm our faith. You do not have to fly this banner if it is not yours. There is no judgment or condemnation from us who follow Christ. That is in God's power and authority. This is an invitation from us to walk free from whatever prison of sin and worldly living you have pledged your allegiance to in the past. This is an opportunity for us to make a proclamation, not just in word, but in deed, that we will live out the words that we profess that we will follow Christ in that same awe and wonder that we experienced when we first came to know that he died for us and freed us from ourselves and from our sins so that we may have the fullness of life eternal in God's heavenly kingdom. And can it be that as we offer our response to the peace that Christ gives us, that peace we only have in Christ, can it be that we may in turn be an offering of peace in the world? So for those who wish to make this pledge in your own life so that you are the song sung to others of what Christ does for the world, I invite you to please stand with me as we affirm what we believe about Christ the King and what God has revealed to us through him. If you would like to stand, you may, for affirmation of faith. Share these words with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven is seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.